0: Starting locally, fighting locally, that's where people win. That's where the process hasn't been quite so corrupted over a period of 50 years, you know, so the local fights are super important.
1: Welcome to episode 379 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. There's a limited number of reporters that write about technology and developments in telecommunications, and even fewer that keep tabs on related legislation. This week, Christopher sat down with one of the leading writers who has been covering these fields for decades, Carl Bode. Including years contributing to DSL reports, Carl's work has appeared in Vice, TechTurt, Medium, and a long list of other publications. In this interview, Christopher and Carl discuss how coverage has changed over time and how his focus has changed due to forces in the industry. Carl and Christopher also discuss policy including events at the FCC surrounding network neutrality, competition in monopolies, and a recent congressional investigation into privacy and social media. Carl has some opinions about what can, should, and might happen, and he has years of observation on which to base his ideas. Now here's Christopher with analyst and writer Carl Bodie. Welcome
2: to another episode of the Community Broadband Bids Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm in Minneapolis per usual. Uh, Today, talking with Carl Bode, someone who, if you're listening to this show, I'm sure you've run across. Uh, He's a longtime freelance writer and, and also a longtime analyst of what happens in the broadband space in particular. Welcome to the show, Carl. Hey,
0: Chris. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
2: So let me just ask you if you want to give us a, a bit of a background, because frankly, I've known you from your writing mostly, and I'm trying to figure out how you've been writing for 20 years when you look like you're 27 years old.
0: <laughs> That's fortune. I was very lucky to stumble into the opportunity. I went I went to New York, and I, uh, to make ends meet, I kind of fell into the legal industry IT. So I did a lot of IT work in law firms for a while. And kind of as a little hobby, I started investigating this new thing called DSL that was popping up. I had been uh, going town to town, city to city, installing Frame Relay, okay. trying to get our offices up and running. So I spent a lot of time working with Verizon and confused as to why very simple things would be immensely complicated. So I started to, <laughs> di- I started to dig into this. And eventually I got hired by a website called DSL Reports that I was a uh, frequenter at uh, to just write about the industry. And, you know, we would just we would spend days just writing about the latest broadband advancement, which companies were upgrading their networks quickly, which ones weren't, you know, and and it. It didn't take long before 10 years had gone by, and I've been doing this for a long time. Eventually, I decided to expand out into more freelance opportunities, and that's where we are now.
2: Yeah, I think for those of us who came along later, because I came into this in 2007, you know, you were someone who had been here forever, and I just sort of assumed that DSL Reports was your website. I oh, no. You uh... get that a lot, I think
0: yeah i did yeah there's a, a justin beach actually ran that website out of australia he's kind of lost interest in it over the years yeah i was just the only person i was the face of the website mostly writing all the content and talking about what what new and odd things comcast had done bad that week you know right.
2: <laughs> I, th- I think i
0: think i literally spent about five years writing about comcast installers make making blunders and installs and falling asleep on people's couches and accidentally burning houses down i think there was a good five-year stretch where that's pretty much all i wrote about because it was happening constantly
2: yes yeah i mean you and phil dampier are the two people that i feel like who you know in this in this era in which um you had that kind of expertise building in in your brain of all these years of experience but being from a site called dsl reports or showing up now on vice I feel like people don't take you as seriously as they would if you just had a byline for the Washington Post and even less knowledge than you do.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, it's access journalism is a a big deal, of course, you know, and um, but you really do learn something. You study, you write about the same companies for 15 years and you write about the government and the way it's manipulated by lobbyists for 15 straight years and you will learn a lot. (laughs) I stumbled into it interested in tech and interested in broadband and I quickly came away kind of fascinated with the... uh, The way lobbyists manipulate government, you know, and as you know, with all the laws that they've passed to uh, prohibit community broadband access or the laws they passed to uh, ensure nobody can develop creative local broadband alternatives, that stuff quickly got very interesting to me. Um, So I tend to focus on that.
2: I just wrote about that for the American conservative just published this morning, actually. So as people are listening to this, when it's released, if they're catching it, which will be tomorrow, um, it will still be live. And perhaps there'll be a lively um, thread in the comments section as I'm hoping more people get a sense of exactly what you're talking about, which is that this is not like a left or a right issue. It's really about lobbyist shenanigans in, in many ways. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I, I really get frustrated by the partisan labels on everything, because, if, you know, on, a, on, a, on an issue like net neutrality, you saw survey after survey showing that the bipartisan majority of Americans wanted some rules of the road that would keep Comcast and AT&T from abusing their monopoly power. I mean, people wanted this. They expected it. And instead, they got lobbyists literally shaping policy, you know, uh, to the complete detriment of consumers and healthy competition. And it's it's just very frustrating to watch it get bogged down in very literal. He said, she said, the left said this, the right said this, when the reality is that people want good broadband. They want it at a decent rate. You know, it's not, none of this is that complicated. Right. And what's happening is, is, is these companies have such immense control over the state and federal legislatures that that just gets lost in the mix constantly, year after year.
2: You said something interesting there, I think, which is that people want good broadband. And I think a lot of people say people want a choice in broadband, and I'm curious if you want to – I mean, do you really think – to me, this gets down to – I think you got it right in what you just said, because I think people want a choice when they're dissatisfied. But fundamentally, people don't want to switch providers every six months hunting for a new deal or changing their email address or whatever. I think people just want a good service.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They want to be able to switch quickly. They don't, you know, I mean, even in, in even in places where there's quote unquote competition in this country, it's usually a cable provider and a telco that hasn't upgraded their DSL lines in the mm-hmm. last 15, 15 years. So that's not real. So they're going to stay with cable. It's simpler. They, they know they're being ripped off, but it's simpler. So they will just stick with it as these phone companies slowly you know, give up on upgrading their DSL lines, Comcast is actually getting more powerful, and a lot of people aren't really noticing it. You know, the hype of 5G wireless has everyone thinking that, you know, everything's going to be super competitive in no time, and that's just not the case, you know.
2: Well, you know, as people know, um, we do have it in some parts of some NFL stadiums now, so it's only a matter of time, right? (laughs) The the nosebleed
0: seats can get great one gigabit access as if they'd actually use that.
2: I mean, I feel like in my mind, I am convinced that having competition in a lot of areas is important to achieving people having good access. But fundamentally, I think it's worth remembering, like people don't really want to be choosing different things in this case. Like they just want something that works. And so. No, yeah.
0: Especially when these companies make it a pain to switch or to, you know, compare services. mm -hmm. I mean, they make it as difficult as possible to not only, compare what the actual price is because they're so bloated with fees uh, they make it hard to switch and people don't want that yeah they want simplicity i was always fascinated with that that project in idaho i think it was where you can literally you can you can switch isps in a matter of seconds you can go on the website and say all right i'm done with you i'm going to go over here and try them for a while and that's i think that that makes the most sense to me some kind of open access model where you can literally switch in seconds you know but we've never embraced that
2: yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens with that. Like if um, looking at the data, if people are switching fairly regularly, my sense is at this point they are not. Um, but actually, that network just got profiled by Fast Company, and I'm—I think we're going to see that that type of st- uh, that th- type of network expand in the next few months in ways that are going to be exciting um, to um, other cities and things like that. Um, but anyway, I wanted to—I want to I wanna nail you down on something before we go back to talking about the FCC and net neutrality again and the the comment system. Um, and that's just—you've—we've you've, talked a little bit about how things have changed over the last 15 years, but you know, if, if you were to look back. I mean, what is different now from how you thought it would be in the year 2020, effectively?
0: You know, I really expected a little more progress on the discourse levels. You know, we get locked into these rigid partisan thinking that I was talking about previously. You know, we get so locked into that. And that used to be a problem. And now it's it's so much worse. And I honestly think cable companies kind of encourage that. I think they want people bogged down in partisan fighting. They want us at each other's throats. They don't want us realizing, oh, Comcast bought a state law that prevents me from having quality service. They don't want people thinking about that. So they get people mired down in these fights over partisan fisticuffs. And I really expected to people have learned a little bit from now, but I'm seeing it actually kind of get worse in this era, which is very disheartening, you know. I mean, on the on the flip side, there's a lot of positive going on. Like you, as, as you know, the community broadband stuff is flourishing. A lot of places are just, they're tired. They're fighting back. You're seeing a lot of interesting local activist stuff going on on the local level. And I'm, you know, watching states come in with the FCC kind of giving up its uh, decision to protect consumers. The states have started to flood in and start protecting a little more. It's very interesting. There is positivity happening. You just have to spend a full time looking for
2: it. One thing that I expected, I'm curious to get your reaction on this, you know, if I look back 10 years, I would have thought that given the lack of progress, the fact that most people are still very unhappy, these companies are very unpopular, Um, that we would see more of a discussion on cable television news about broadband issues. I mean, like you said, I mean, the the net neutrality stuff that we'll talk about in a second, I mean, is unprecedented. I mean, probably it's possible that more people legitimately commented on that than have commented in the aggregate of number of previous comments before of all open issues. And yet, you know, the cable companies that control a lot of those channels don't seem to have any interest in actually... You know, having those fights on television, it no, seems like.
0: Yeah. No, and a Comcast NBC Universal isn't going to have a half hour segment on how spotty their coverage is across the country <laughs> or how the erosion of local media is kind of causing, you know, increased division in the country. They don't want to talk about any of that stuff. I mean, it's very obvious that none of those channels want to touch this with a ten foot pole. Because it's a losing proposition. When you get into comcast buying state laws literally buying and writing their own state laws that prohibit competitive alternatives you know there's no defending that kind of stuff and so the more you cover it the more pissed people get and then you know god forbid somebody tries to do something about it so of course yeah they're not they're not going to spend too much time talking about it i mean in the major papers honestly they you know a lot of the coverage is highly superficial in that regard as well
2: yes yeah no and that's actually where i feel like Again, I'm I'm somewhat surprised at the lack of seriousness. And I I really wonder and I haven't gone back to look that deeply, but I assume electricity and electrification was covered more professionally back then. There's new technology is always something that's just hard for I think incumbents to figure out um, whether you're in the newspaper business or whatever but it, it just seems like everyone agrees that this is the future of everything and yet no one seems interested in the, the details around it.
0: I think a lot of reporters look at it from a superficial level as if we're discussing sewer line. You know, what kind of sewer line is the, mm-hmm. you know, they, they're not that interested in that. They don't understand the broader impact of what happens when you let a company like AT&T not only dominate the broadband content to your home, but all the content flowing into your home, all the advertisements you're seeing, what content gets delivered at what speed, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. People don't understand the, what we're building here when you let a company like Comcast, NBC Universal control the conduit and the content. You're going to have problems unless you have. And there's no competition to keep them honest. And we've decided the answer to that on government is even less regulation and less oversight than ever. And I don't know what people expect. From that outcome. It's not it's not going to end well (laughs) for consumers or smaller competitors I don't know. I mean, it's this is I keep I've made the same point for 15 years and it's still people (laughs) tend to debate And I I don't think it's debatable. The end outcome of this is not good unless you have some real competition And uh, and like I said, I'm really I'm very impressed with all the stuff people locally are doing the local activists and local broadband community municipal people They're the people that should get all the attention and all the coverage because they really it's, it's very impressive what's going on around this country
2: Yes, uh, and that's why we're we're trying to we're trying to cover. I mean, in, ten years ago, as I'm sure you knew, like we could cover everything that was happening, and now it's not even possible. If we doubled the size of our team, we'd still be missing stories because of all the local activity. Yeah,
0: you know, Chattanooga really I think uh, ignited some interest once Consumer Reports ranked them the top ranked ISP in America last year. Mm-hmm. That really people are like, oh. There's alternatives to this. I don't have to pay Comcast $170 for 400 channels I don't watch and a cable broadband line that cuts out every three minutes.
2: Let's turn to the FCC commenting system. And I think that it's most obvious with net neutrality, where there was more attention and and apparently higher stakes for a lot of folks, because you were one of the first people to be surprised that. Carl Bodie opposed net neutrality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You found your own name in the comment system taking a position diametrically opposed to what you believe. So for people who aren't familiar with, with what I'm talking about, what happened there?
0: When the FCC website was opened up for public comment, it, was very, it became very quickly apparent that something was very wrong. You had senators who's, who, whose names were being hijacked. You had people who were dead. Uh, breathlessly supporting killing net neutrality. You had people who never heard what net neutrality was about. Somebody took the time to painstakingly post two uh, comments to the FCC website in my name saying that I was very excited about the government (laughs) demolishing consumer (laughs) protection and that I ran an unregistered political uh, PAC of some kind. Yeah, somebody took my identity and then used it to um, make fraudulent comments. And when I contacted the FCC, I was told there was absolutely nothing they could do about it. And most everybody else who had their name hijacked in that fact fashion also experienced the same thing. The FCC has been completely resistant to investigating, to being transparent about what happened, and, and I think for obvious reasons. But yeah, it's a mess. And I, I think the AG, uh, New York uh, Attorney General, had been investigating, and there was at one point a Department of Justice investigation. But in this current climate, who knows what happened to those? You know, there's there's obviously other more pressing situations going on, I understand, but also Who knows if they just close those cases.
2: Well, and this actually gets to, again, what we were talking about earlier regarding the byline and access journalism. It was BuzzFeed that just recently sort of uncovered some of what happened with really remarkable reporting. Yeah, there's been a lot
0: of good reporters that have just slowly, painstakingly uh, done Freedom of Information Act uh, requests to see who was submitting this, how they did it. And it's slowly coming together that, yeah, it was, surprise, the broadband industry uh, incumbents Um, funding some pretty shady middlemen shops to then um, fill the uh, FCC website with fake support for their bad policy. It's not just an FCC thing that's happening at all most regulators right now. It's it's kind of a lobbyist um, shops that will do that as kind of a value-added service, pretend to be Americans for you and and fill websites with uh, false support for your bad policy. It's kind of a thing now.
2: Yeah, Phil Phil Dampier tracked that down in New Jersey six or seven years ago. And I just assumed then that it was kind of anomalous, that it was not standard practice, because it seems like it should be a significant crime. <laughs> to yeah, me, yeah. You, you would think,
0: right? You would think that that would get a little more attention. The fact that the companies are uh, paying firms to pretend to be Americans and pollute, it's it's polluting our discourse. I mean, it's the one, it was the one chance that Americans had to make it known what they thought about the FCC policy proceeding, and it was completely hijacked. And, you know, the the fact that more people weren't bothered by that is, is fairly telling.
2: Do you think there is any chance and try not to laugh too hard directly into the microphone? Do you think there is any chance that this was just a situation in which the those companies were thinking, well, there's a lot of people on our side. We're just going to hire these firms to find them because because they can't conceive that they are really are opposed by 80, 90 percent of the American public.
0: I'm 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 fairly certain they knew what they were doing. You know, these these a lot of these shops that Buzzfeed exposed are are traditional operatives that have been doing this kind of stuff for a long time. So I'm sure the broadband would industry would throw up their hands and say we didn't know what we were getting into, assuming they're ever held accountable, which I am not doubt that'll happen. I think they knew. I'm I'm almost positive they knew. This is something that's gone on for a while. I mean, it's less now, but about 10, 15 years ago, I used to write about how AT&T and Verizon would actually create fake consumer groups, like they would call it consumers for American choice, you know, and to have a big website talking about this and that, but its entire purpose was to undermine consumer advocacy and uh, push policies that were in direct contradiction to what consumers are interested in. Um, there's been a little bit less of that over the years, but this stuff has kind of risen up in its place. This kind of little bit more sneaky, shady behavior has, has become the norm. And if you notice, broadband providers never want to talk about this issue. You, it's hard to get them to talk about what happened here. Uh, because they like to distance themselves via proxies from the things they did, but...
2: Well, I think the the proxies is interesting because like you said, I think there are fewer of those AstroTurf groups popping up. It does seem like they are relying more on academics who are in many cases clueless and um, not the first person to say that there's a fair number of academics who don't really have a sense of how anything really operates in the real world. Um, but it does seem like there's more academic centers, whether, you know, Chris Yu has certainly been doing this for a long time out of the University of Pennsylvania. Um, um, we see several colleges and universities, though, that operate as fronts, and it looks like legitimate research that gets released then.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, it's a universe of that. Uh, I've watched that for 20 years. You know, a lot of quid pro quo, very cozy relationships between a company and a, and a college who then a professor will oddly support killing all consumer protections and support even the worst merger possible. And then they'll massage data and twist and contort data until it supports what they claim. And that's that's been a cottage industry for a long time now. And then that's another thing you think would be, you know, there'd be some rules on because I see a lot of these same folks write editorials in major papers and that no point is it disclosed that they you often have a financial relationship. Mm-hmm. They do go to great lengths to kind of obscure those financial relationships most of the time. But if you dig deeply enough into a lot of these folks, you can usually find some kind of tether to the corporate cash or, or AT&T. AT&T, that's one of the AT&T's loves to do this kind of stuff. They're very... Very sophisticated policy and lobbying apparatus, as I'm sure you know. Um, But yeah, they've been doing this for a long time. It's wonky enough that it doesn't galvanize the public opposition because it's confusing. So I think they can get away with it under the din of confusion.
2: One of the things that seems to be um, promising is that uh, we see uh, Senator Blackburn, Uh, Coming out now, uh, very concerned about privacy issues for Facebook. And as we've been commenting uh, on Twitter, um, you know, I I can only assume that AT&T's privacy practices are next. Yeah, no
0: doubt. I'm sure she's going to uh, she's going to jump right on that. Uh, There's a it's, it's the whole Facebook thing is fascinating to me because you've got a lot of politicians who've literally let these incumbent monopoly broadband providers buy state laws, resulting in poor service, high prices. And these same senators are suddenly on. I mean, to be clear, Facebook has a lot of problems. Google, Silicon Valley, their business models. I mean, I think we all understand that they amplify disinformation and their prioritization of engagement above all else has caused a lot of problems. I don't dispute that. But I also think a lot of the stuff coming out of D.C. right now, Blackburn specifically, folks like Blackburn is kind of disingenuous. I don't think they're actually interested in corporate power. I think they're using this as uh, both a way to help uh, the telecom sector and a way uh, to uh, be divisive politically, um, because I've never seen, uh, like I said on Twitter the other day, I've never seen Blackburn oppose AT on anything.
2: Honestly, the um, for me the 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 thing that was fascinating. I mean, I so I disagree with Marcia Blackburn on a variety of issues. I've never thought she was. Uh, particularly hard worker um, on the issues that she does care about. And yet when it was – I think it was six months ago when she – um, was was got a lot of attention for asking very hard questions of Mark Zuckerberg, being very prepared. And people were just like, wow, like Marsha Blackburn is like so concerned about Facebook. And I was just like, I could just see the the lobbyist team from AT&T patting themselves on the back in the background yeah. for so preparing her. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, there's been a there's a lot of legitimate opposition to Facebook, of course. Uh, but there's also a lot of it farmed by the telecom industry. They're very interesting. They're expanding into media and online video. And they'd like nothing more than to see Silicon Valley giants hamstrung by all kinds of new regulations that are very specifically tailored to screw Silicon Valley, but leave telecom open to doing whatever it wants. And I mean, you can see that's a total asymmetry right now. You've got the entirety of D.C. focused on Silicon Valley, you know, and Mm -hmm. at the same time, the broadband industry just convinced one of the biggest regulators in the country to effectively just obliterate its authority over broadband providers. Those things are going on. At the same time, and then very few people are looking at them both and wondering if they're connected and they are very much so
2: connected. I mean, we, we talk about privacy issues. And and I think one of the things that that does drive me nuts for people who don't understand the threat of Facebook is that you, know, you have no choice. If you're on the Internet, Facebook is trying to track you. You have to be pretty sophisticated to avoid it. Yeah. At the same time. If you are using AT&T as your provider, they are tracking you in many of the same ways. And they are just as unregulated, it feels like. I mean, I, so I, I don't know exactly how, I don't spend all of my time working on that. Yeah, AT&T has
0: been doing this stuff for, for decades. I mean, you look at the, the location data scandals that have been going on with AT&T and those companies hoovering up, you know, your daily traveling habits <laughs> down to the second and selling it to just a long list, like hundreds of companies with very little oversight. Nobody seemed to care about that until the scandal came up. ATT used to modify packets to track people around the internet. The company um tried for a while until they wanted to get merger approval and they backed off, but for a while they were charging their broadband users like five hundred dollars more a year just to opt out of their snooping advertisements. You know? Right. And that wouldn't that money wouldn't even stop them tracking you. They'd still collect data on you. They just wouldn't send you behavioral ads as if that's any kind of reasonable trade off, you know, and this stuff has been going on for so long and nobody really cares about telecom. And then here. So it's frustrating to me. I understand all the problems with Facebook and the privacy issues with Facebook. It's monumental. They have massive platform and it's hugely powerful around the world. Um, But at the same time, telecom is no angel. You've got these massive media empires that uh, dominate local broadband access. They're now dominating media. They just convinced the government to strip most of the oversight of them. I mean, again, it's one of these situations where where do you think this path leads to where you create this situation where telecom can do whatever they want? But, you know, we highly regulate Facebook. And, you know, a lot of the people like Blackburn, when push comes to shove, aren't actually going to regulate Facebook. They're they're using it as political grandstanding (laughs) right now. But when it actually comes time to do anything about Facebook, they won't. They'll suddenly all disappear, you know, and they'll have reasons why you can't, you know, uh, constrain Zuckerberg's ability to make billions and billions of dollars off of uh, Uh, snooping data. Um, So, yeah, I I just I'm I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed with the current paradigm. And there's a lot of smart people out there who should know better, who also aren't making the aren't understanding that this is all one problem. Telecom, Silicon Valley. These are Mm -hmm. all the same problem. Corporate influence Mm -hmm. in our government, um, letting them literally write policy, um, corruption of the public comment process you know it's it's all one problem uh no privacy rules i mean i can't believe it's 2019 and we're still should we maybe have a privacy law <laughs> you think you know it's still there's one privacy law for kids and it's terribly written and it doesn't work half the time and like people are still you know after with after everything that's happened there's still this debate other whether, whether we should have like a fundamental privacy law that just says you know let the consumer opt out fundamental things you know it doesn't have to be complicated
2: do you have a sense of i you know i feel like you like me i think don't really have a home politically um in fact i think i think this is true of many of us who are like very technical like yeah (laughs) and i feel like when i look at what happens when republicans are elected they act like there's no problem and when democrats are elected it seems like they're motivated to do something on it but it doesn't seem like things get done. And and they blame that often on Republicans, although it does seem like a lot of the cable guys have a lot of uh, relationships with a lot of the Democrats. And so, you know... I, I mean, one of the issues that I look at a lot is rural broadband, right? I think people in rural areas are often going to vote on issues that are not related to broadband, often a, a cultural issue, if if for no other reason than liberal tiers today, it seems like. And so I'm at a little bit of a loss in terms of like, what does a person do? Like, re- regarding the political process, it seems totally failed to deal with these issues. Yeah, yeah, it has. It's it's broken.
0: I mean, I, I think it's obvious that Democrats are a little bit better on some of these issues. But yeah, you're right. Um, Obama's first FCC boss, Janikowski, was kind of a, a, you know, he would just try to get along with everybody. He would try painf- painfully to not ruffle any feathers. So all of his policies would be these kind of nebulous yes we're gonna solve the digital divide but then when push comes to shove they wouldn't actually do anything about it i do think wheeler was better you know i think he was actually capable of like hearing data and changing his mind based on what the data says which is you know a rare trade in dc these days but i don't like you i don't I don't tie my ego up to any brand or politician, you know, or a party. I just find that kind of silly, you know, wearing our color coded jumpsuits and Mm -hmm. everything. (laughs) I don't I don't go for that. You know, I like to weigh each regulation on its merits, each politician on their merits. And there's a lot of bad politicians and uh, these companies have corrupted the entire democratic process. And I think the only alternative is to just vote, vote out people who have repeatedly over a period of 20 years shown that they have zero interest in consumer or real market welfare. I mean, starting locally, fighting locally, that's where people win. That's where the process hasn't been quite so corrupted over a period of 50 years, you know, so the local fights are super important. Yeah, With net neutrality was a perfect example. I think the states will come in and pass some laws that the federal government was too afraid to. And, uh, that's going to be really interesting to
2: watch. Right. Well, each of them will be fought in front of courts and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it'll be – I mean, in some ways, I'm i am hopeful that, first of all, that that, again, provides enough restraint that we don't see the, the nastiness that you and I both know could be happening as soon as these companies feel like their feet are – not in the fire. Ajit Pai took their feet mostly out of the fire, but they know the fire is still there, um, and that seems to be restraining them.
0: They were, yeah. Everyone says, oh, the internet didn't immediately implode, therefore killing that neutrality must not have been a big thing. But that's not, you know, that's, a, that's an oversimplification of the problem. The broadband providers were trying to behave largely because they were worried about that law, federal lawsuit coming down. And they were also worried about state laws. You know, they don't want to go change their business models wholesale across the country and start nickel and diming people all over the place only to suddenly run afoul of California's new net neutrality law in which they owe billions of dollars for this or that. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think if we keep pushing in this direction, you're eventually going to start seeing some major privacy and net neutrality and competitive scandals that will finally blow the lid off of some of this stuff and kind of motivate people towards both. Uh, Net neutrality and privacy laws. They're very similar policy wise right now in the federal government. You know, both are big issues. Both are things we need to tackle. Um, Both are uh, entering a a domain where the states are taking the lead because the federal government uh, is too uh, corrupted to do much about it. So, yeah, both have been interesting to watch.
2: So let me just uh, wrap up by saying uh, for people who, who aren't following you already, at Carl Bode, B-O-D-E, um, Carl with a K, uh, wonderful follow. Um, and also mostly writing on Motherboard. Uh, is there any other place that people would see you regularly popping up? Oh, Yeah,
0: TechDirt, uh, Vice's Motherboard. You'll see me on uh, Medium's one zero publication occasionally, but yeah, also check me out on Twitter.
2: Great. Well, thank
1: you so much for coming on. It's been a fun discussion. Yeah,
0: thank you, Chris. I appreciate it.
1: That was Christopher with Carl Bode, longtime analyst and freelance writer. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandvits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at Community Nets. We encourage you to follow Carl, too. His handle is at Carl Bode. That's K-A-R-L-B-O-D-E. Follow MuniNetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at MuniNetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount helps keep us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed to Creative Commons and thank you for listening to episode 379 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.